Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 141. I'm Rob Wright, Security News Director, and I am here with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome. Hi, Rob. How are you? Great. It has been a bit of a hiatus for the Risk and Repeat podcast. We've been off uh, for several weeks post-RSA. That's Um, correct. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. We haven't been in here in almost, well, you and I haven't been in here in a f- couple months at least. Um, so this week, when we haven't talked about our about today's topic yet, you've written about it before. Uh, Mike, Mike Heller, senior reporter, Search Security, just recently wrote about this topic. But it's been one that's been in the news a lot. And we're talking about Cisco and the series of vulnerabilities and flaws that have been disclosed, I'd say, about um, I, the last year and a half, I think, approximately. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, that have shared a common, a common trait, I guess. They've involved uh, credentials, hard-coded credentials, default credentials, and it's it's not been a good look for them. It's raised a lot of questions for Cisco about uh, why these flaws are occurring, what's happening, uh, or were they put there intentionally? Um, we're going to get into sort of the great backdoor debate here in a little bit. But first, Peter uh, wanted to discuss the latest incident in this news because you wrote about you wrote about the. I guess it was last fall. Uh, you wrote a, seri- a, a story about the series of, of flaws that they've they've had with hard coded or default credentials. Cisco. Yeah. Yes. And there was what? There was like ten. It was. I want to say it was seven or eight. Okay. Uh, if I remember, I reviewed that article earlier this morning. Since about like mid two thousand seventeen, I think. Yeah. So yeah. That's about right. Yeah. But there was there w- there were certainly a, a bunch of uh, those credential those hard coded credential type uh, vulnerabilities that were found and patched, and most of them were found by Cisco. Yeah, and that's important to note. So maybe let's start there. So Cisco, when you talked to them last fall, they had an interesting sort of response, and and I'm going to paraphrase it, but a spokesperson basically said, "Oh yeah, well we have a bigger portfolio, uh, and." We want to improve the security, so we've been actively looking for things like this, um, which is good f- for them. I mean, I'm glad they're doing it, but it does raise a question about why those things were in there in the first place um, and what type of design process led to them and led to the, to the products being released, the software being released with that sort of thing in them, and why weren't they doing this before. Um, you mean looking for the, the yeah right the well, credentials? I I want to say that it's not an unusual approach to have a system that you're developing and have you know I don't want to say backdoor but a different you know like a, a service entrance let's say for the people that are working on it yes because a lot of systems and 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 I I want to say that my uh, my understanding of this goes back decades so. Um, because sometimes systems are are set up in ways to prevent access. You do, you want to you want to exclude people. You want to you want to make sure that people that are getting in have a way to get in. And you don't want to uh, 
you want to have a, a way to get in for people that are doing the, the work on it yep. that you can then close off at the end of your construction. Mm. The, I think that part of the problem is that, number one, um, construction keeps going even after it's gone into production. Yes. Um, and number two, you get there's turnover in development teams, yep. and not everybody is aware that this is a standard practice, that you have people that you want to give people a way to get in, quickly fix things or, or look at things, and then get out without having to affect the state of the application that you're that as you're running it. So um, I think that's where they come from, and I think that a lot of these things turn out to be uh, uh, Telnet, because because yeah. that's Telnet's been around for fifty years. Yeah. It's everybody knows it. It's pretty basic. It's like file transfer protocol. It's of the same, roughly the same vintage. And you, when you, when people were creating these things back in 1969, they weren't. Um, they were they were forging new ground, um, or, or or breaking new trails in in computer science in terms of what they were doing. Right. Uh, by creating these little applications, but they weren't. Those were experiments. I mean, the internet was was kind of an experiment for, for much of its lifetime, and it continues to be kind of an experiment because you've got people trying out new protocols all the time. Um, so it's a, it's a work in progress, and when you have a work in progress, you have to have a, a way to get let the workers get in. Yeah, so, I'm um, glad you mentioned that because, and see, this is why you're my wingman. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Uh, or sidekick is good too. Wingman. Yeah, although, wingman is. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not going to start calling you, you know, Goose to my Maverick because <laughs> Goose Goose died <laughs> in Top Gun, and we don't want that to happen. Uh, so, so the the latest incident or uh, vulnerability, and it's not an incident; it's a vulnerability uh, for Cisco. Was I think on May 1st they released this patch for. Uh, software in the Cisco Nexus 9000 series switch. And they discovered, or s researchers at a, at a third party organization, I, I can't recall the, the, the outfit off the top of my head, but I think it was in Europe somewhere. They had found that there was a default SSH key pair on these, uh, like uh, in this software. So for all of these devices, there's just an open SSH key pair. And this is a critical vulnerability. I mean, basically gives root access to these devices. If you can find these, like if you know that these keys are, the key pair is there, you can just go right in and, you know, it's bad. Um, so it can allow unauthenticated remote attackers to uh, connect to a vulnerable system and that you have uh, privileges of a, of a, of a root user and that's bad for switches oh yeah because like, you think about where obviously where cisco equipment is not just in the enterprises but it's data centers uh, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. government not great um now when this story came out there was a lot of <sighs> i gotta walk a fine line here there was a lot of chatter right in the infosec community and the tech community that was saying, oh, goodness me, another uh, uh, Cisco backdoor was was discovered. And why does this keep happening to Cisco? Um, I, I think that that question, Cisco has 
maybe earned is not the right word, but they've earned, they, they've, they've, they're responsible for that question being asked. And I don't think it's uncalled for. At the same time, I don't think that, the, I don't think they intentionally did this. I don't think any of these credentials, if I had to guess, if I had to bet money, I would say, no, this was not intentional. This was, they're, they're a huge company. They're pushing out a lot of products. They're doing exactly what you said. They have big development teams. You know, we like to think that they're up to speed on DevSecOps and that they have all these, but it's an aircraft carrier. It takes time to change the way they go about doing things. They've been proactively searching for these hard-coded credentials and exposed credentials and key pairs and so on and so forth. Um, so good, good for them for doing this, good for other researchers for finding this, but I don't think it's like one of those things where they intentionally put this in there um right i okay i agree that cisco cisco as a corporation did like there was no high level meeting that said we we're going to put backdoors in our in our product yeah it just seems a silly way to do it in this case but anyway yeah, yeah. well the the problem with having a backdoor like that is it works for anybody who knows that it's there yeah right but at the same time you're talking about betting and taking odds you didn't say taking odds but i mean I wouldn't necessarily not bet hmm. that somebody didn't get approached by somebody else hmm. and offered a little, you know, bonus for uh, forgetting to take something out. Let's say, hmm. um, just because I've there's Cisco the organization and there's the people that are part of Cisco and people are yeah. not. The the individuals are not always under the same kind of transparency. Right. They're not, they don't have the same kind of commitments. They don't have the same, you know. Not everybody right. in the organization is going to be uh, an organization person. So, um, or even a good person. So there's there's no reason to believe that people at Cisco who are involved in designing these things aren't sometimes approached by people in in, in, in intelligence community for uh, different company countries yeah who want to have a backdoor into these devices I mean yeah. it's a it's a big target and we know that that's that has I mean we're not making stuff up here whole cloth like this is this has been a documented tactic not just for the the US national intelligence community but other countries as well you go to you you try to get in with these developers whether it's open source or commercial software and you 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 know you 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 ask them to please put this or or do that and, and try to influence the code sometimes undercover um in order to get what you want which right. is access to those things later on. Yeah, I mean, so. it, it's it's spies. I mean, they're yeah. they're they're not going to play fair. They're not going to play by the rules. And and if a carrot doesn't work, there's a combination carrot stick situation where somebody's approached and told, you know, you can uh, you can do this thing for us. It's just a small thing, and yeah. and, and nobody will find out, and uh, and you'll get a prize. And if you don't do it, you'll get a you go to jail. I love this. This is like a Tom Clancy thriller right now. <laughs> This could be like a mini series. Sure, yeah, exactly. But but I mean, these, no, but it, these yeah. things do happen, right. and yeah, and yeah. and there's a reason that governments like the Chinese government have targeted intellectual property from, you know, from our country for so yeah. many years. They're they're looking for ways to get a a, a, a step up. Yeah. 
I mean, and it and it's not just China. It's you know any adversaries are going to do this kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I s- you know now that I've brought that up, I got to say I have no indication or reason to think that that's what happened here. But it's just one of it's many a possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a mistake. It could have been an honest mistake. It could have been a less than honest mistake. So I'm glad you brought that up because. So to me, the hard-coded credentials thing, yes, that, that happens a fair amount. And I thought to myself, SSH, this seems worse. Like, this seems like something that that is, is not as common and is something that companies should be looking for. I mean, you remember we had our just discussion with um, a couple of years back. We, we had an interview with Tatu Young. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And um, – he talked about the dangers of having SSH keys exposed, and you need to review. And yeah, a lot of companies do it, but they don't do it as much. And and um, you know, SSH communications is trying to do trying to do more of that, and they and they still are, by the way. Um, but at the same time, so I I thought it was, I thought this this SS, uh, SSH key pair being there was I'm like man, that's unusual, but. It's really not, and ironically, this is this is data provided by um, Duo Security, which uh, is owned by Cisco. It, this was posted in 2017 before Cisco acquired them, but they talked about SS, uh, SSH key exposure. This is um, from October 2017, and they, I was shocked, like how, and they they pulled in data from other sources, but I was shocked at how many like organizations were exposed. <laughs> exposing these keys and I like I guess it's not as as rare or uncommon as I thought and there was one uh, data point here that uh, a study from ThreatStack they 73% had uh, 73% of users had left their remote SSH service exposed to the public internet for their cloud instances like that's wow so I mean, it's a little different than what we're talking about here, but but yeah, SSH is really easy to use the first time you use it. Yeah, um, it's really simple to set to set up a a, a, a a secured circuit between two hosts. The thing is that the 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 tokens and the and the and some of the authentication data tends to persist on on systems once you set that communicate right. that circuit up. And if you have access to somebody who's been doing those accesses, you have access to their. You, you may be able to get access to their SSH key, key pairs. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a big problem because correctly configuring SSH to do authentication in a strong way is not as easy as just you know firing up a a, a, a terminal box and and typing SSH remote host. So. You can do that. You can do that all day long, and it's and and anybody can do it. It's pretty simple. But setting up, you know, figuring out how the the process is involved in, in securing that those circuits and, and preventing people from hijacking them, that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And that's and that's what SSH and Tatu uh, are doing these days, trying to try, trying to get that secured because it if you do it right you you have a great tool but if you don't do it right and i was in preparation for this podcast i was doing a little research on on ssh versus telnet mm. and there's there's some people that say raw telnet versus raw ssh in other words out of the box ssh um 
is not necessarily more secure than doing Telnet. Hmm. Um, because because you have to configure it properly. Right, to, right. And if you, know, you screw it up and don't monitor it and don't, yeah. Yeah. If you're not if you're ma not managing your key pairs, then then you don't have control over it, and you and people can, uh, and you can lose control over your, over the systems that are secured that way. Um, that all being said, I also did a little research because I'd long been hearing people telling me this is easily 15, 20, or even more years. That Telnet don't use Telnet anymore. Use SSH because yeah, I mean SSH is in is in in current development. Telnet is kind of like it's kind of like a rotary telephone. Yeah, or, it's old school. Know, yeah, it's totally <laughs> old school. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, if you're still using Telnet, as, and and I saw uh, there was uh, a quote recently in an article about Telnet being okay for internal private network management. I'm not convinced that's correct. Mm. Um, I take your word for it. You've written books, so <laughs> I know you hate when I bring that up, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, agree on both points. <laughs> um, I want to get to Telnet uh, for our final point here in just a second, but I do want to say that while I think the questions about I, I think the questions about what these vulnerabilities, the natures of these vulnerabilities, and how many of them there have been and, and what's going on here, I think are, I, I'm i okay with those questions being asked, even if I don't think that Cisco has done anything intentional here. I think this is just bad security, bad sloppiness that's endemic really throughout most enterprises and most technology companies. This isn't anything out of, really out of the ordinary. Um, but again, I think that, that Cisco's gotta take the heat here I mean, because if, if everyone's going to be asking about backdoors and government intrusions and with other companies, which we'll get to in a minute, then you got to take a look in the mirror and, and you know, accept that you're going to get the same questions um, when this type of thing pops up again and again. And I don't think Cisco's done itself a lot of favors here with how they've presented this. Like, they gave Mike a, a statement, um, you know, a spokesperson for his story on the SSH key pair. And, you know, I just, look, um, you know, Cisco basically saying, uh, no, this isn't a backdoor because we have a no backdoor policy. Like, <laughs> look, I'm sure you do. That doesn't mean, Jack, um, we're, we're not vouching for that statement, even though it's in the article. I think we're, we were just, you know, if Cisco wants to say that and take heat for it, then, and that's their explanation, then, then that's their explanation. So, um I think they got to take a better approach, but that's neither here nor there. I think they could save themselves a lot of trouble. Going back to Telnet. So I mentioned other companies getting heat for backdoors. Huawei. Everyone's afraid of Huawei. Nobody wants to trust Huawei. Backdoors, working with this, the, the Chinese government. You don't know if they're you know sending your data, your, your corporate data or government data. Who knows? Personal data. Um, so a story came out recently from Bloomberg about Vodafone discovering in its uh, the Huawei equipment that it bought. So this is like 2000, between 2009 and 2011 stuff that they bought. They had found you know a backdoor according to uh, the Bloomberg story, but it was Telnet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, and the other part of that story that that kind of surprised me was that. It was 
it was the back door or back doors in question were Telnet, um, and also they the back doors were resolved with patches in 2011 and 2012, if I remember yeah. reading correctly. Um, so it makes me wonder who's who, who's defining what news actually is over at Bloomberg because it happened a long time ago, and it was fixed and. Vodafone, yeah, didn't s- said that they didn't find that it, that it was fixed. It seems strange, right? It does. Um, I I don't want to go too hard at Bloomberg, but but that story kind of coming on the heels of the story about the you know the big hack, the 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 Chinese you know super secret um, uh, uh, small little microchip that was supposedly on super micro boards. The one that there was no that no one was able uncovered. to confirm yeah. that you know that that I mean I guess, I guess they stand by it they haven't commented on it um, the story's still up but you know I mean that was refuted um, in in pretty graphic detail from both Apple and Amazon Supermicro disputed it uh, I, I think there are a lot of questions about Hu- Huawei and what it's doing I, which I think are not totally unfair, um, but Telnet, like, like if we're gonna beat up Huawei for Telnet, then you gotta you gotta beat up. I want to see a story from from Bloomberg on on the Cisco's hard coded credentials, like pattern of hard coded and default credentials, and you know default SSH key pair just lying out there, you know, for the world to see, um, and have a little bit of. You know, compare and contrast there because that's. I mean, yes, Telnet. Why are you still using it? That seems that fair, right? I mean, like you said, it's an old thing. It's it, why, but again, you're talking about 2009, 2000 to 2011, and I don't know. I, I don't. I, the alarmist part of that was was not. I, I don't know. It, it seemed unfair. There's been a lot of um, people saying Telnet is old, old school, and and not to be trusted anymore. Goes way back. I think it goes well, well, well earlier than 2009. Oh, sure, yeah, um, yeah. So it's not like it's not like it was it was then cutting edge or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, it it it's it's a, a kind of a hack that people use in development yeah. process in their development life cycle. And there needs to be uh, uh, somebody saying, hey, you know, when you're done developing, take the hack out, take the kludge out. And it's probably harder than, it's probably not a simple, oh, I'll just cut and paste or or highlight and delete because it's probably all through a lot of different module, code modules. And there's probably more than one in many software development life cycles. Yeah. Um, but but whatever it is, whatever that process is, it probably should be. We should probably be paying attention to it and 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 making that part of the development life cycle, like early, right. way earlier on. Right. And you're right. I mean, I just did a quick search on, on just on, through our archives, looking at you know exposed telnet coverage or, and yeah, even 2008, 2009. There's a lot of you know no moss. Don't <laughs> use this. Right. Like like let's let's get this out. Um, but again, it's not like is that's a that's justifiable as a bad design, sloppy design, sloppy. You're not having the right de- DevOps process in place. It seems a little 
bit of a stretch to, to call it a, it seems a significant stretch to call it a, a back a back door into the kind of so it it's almost a plausible deniability kind of an it's issue. It's so obvious, yeah. It's it, like, it's like I would be I would be much more um, confident in these assessments of these things as back doors if instead of saying, "Oh, look, what we found in 2011, there was a, a, a Telnet back door that that was closed up in 2012," that that's not a story. That's not news. I mean, that's just yeah. that's Tuesday, but. If the story was we've discovered people who are telling us that they that they use this as part of the intelligence community to access data, yeah, um, because we were told to do it. That's a back door. That's yeah. that's a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I think maybe we should give people an opportunity to contact us with that information. Sure, sure. Yeah, reach out to uh, Peter Lotion, uh, um, <laughs> Rob Wright. Uh, no, but, but seriously, I think, you know, just sort of in, in closing, I think there's a lot of things that have that that companies are still doing in the development process that lead to these types of things. And it seems like this is just, you know, human error and bad design. My point, I, my greater point is if you're going to if you're going to say it's a backdoor for one you got to say it's a backdoor for the other. And and if there's a if there's a track record of those sort of repeated things and you're saying, "Oh, this company overseas, these are definitely backdoors, but this company here in the US that's doing the same thing or similar things, similar things, similar track record, similar then that seems a little unfair." Um, and and I, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't think either company is doing it intentionally. Um, I think you know if you want to have backdoors, there's that are that are only government accessible or to specific entities. There's there's better ways to do it than having obvious sort of things like that out in the open. So that's those are my thoughts. Uh, Peter, any closing? Th- you you loved this topic. <laughs> you did. I did. I do. I mean, it's great. It's got it's got drama. It's got. You know, spies. It's got, or maybe yeah. spies. Maybe spies. It's got all kinds of stuff going on. It's got, yeah. it's got in, incompetence. It's got competence. It's got, you know, f- cleaning things up. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, we'll get. We'll yeah. <laughs> I know I say this a lot. I'm uh-huh. sure we'll be back in here sometime soon discussing uh, the latest goings on in, in the in the great backdoor debate. If it's not Cisco, it'll be another company, and we'll get all riled up again. Yeah. But for now, Peter, thank you for joining me. Thank you for putting an end to the hiatus. Always go- good to be here. And thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time. <laughs>